0: Good morning. There, that's a better response. I like that. Ben, you just got to be loud. Uh, Ben and I go back really far. Y'all just met him. He just came here. When when did you get hired? August. August. All right. So you're still getting to know him, uh, but he's a good guy. My name's Nathan Dickens. I've been the Wesley director at the University of North Georgia for 12 years. Uh, So ever since I got out of college, I became the director there and I've stayed there. Can't get away from the mountains. Absolutely love him up there. Uh, but, uh, I didn't really know that this was going to be, what would you say? Not a commencement. What would you say? Commencement? Okay. A commencement speech till about a week ago when Ben said it and, uh, I still decided to do what was, uh, I was planning on doing. Um, and that's to tell you a little bit about, uh, college ministry, uh, but to hopefully encourage you and to hopefully take this, not just, okay, that's what's happening up there, but how do we live that in our own lives? Uh, College ministry is really important to me. I think it's very uh, vital that we have it. Uh, When I was starting to graduate high school, I grew up, like most of you probably, went to church every week. My dad was uh, 29 years Army, so we traveled around a bunch. But I started to get to my uh, sophomore and junior and senior year of high school, and I started to realize Okay, uh, I'm reading all these things that Jesus is doing, the power of the Holy Spirit, God really uh, coming down and taking hold of people and bringing joy and peace and life, and yet I wasn't experiencing it. All I felt that being a Christian was was to go to church, go to Sunday school, try to be a good good little Christian boy, and that was it. And I got to this point as, as I was leaving high school that if being a Christian is just being a good person and showing up to church, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, either God was real, and what he said in his word was real and active and alive, and would save me and bring peace in the midst of chaos and joy in the midst of pain, and he could heal people from endeavors, and he could change people, or he wasn't. That's how I kind of thought about it, and I finally started kind of going through this time in my life of trying to explore and figure out, and thank God his grace was still there, and really opened up my eyes and I started to experience the Holy Spirit and what it really meant to be a a Christian, not to be a good Christian boy uh, in the South and just go to church and do all that. And so I'm very passionate. Why? Because college ministry, uh, statistically speaking, is the last best chance to reach people for the gospel. Now, God moves in mysterious ways. God does a lot of different things. I saw my dad go from a good Sunday school church guy And then at about 45, 50-ish, the Holy Spirit hit him for the first time, and his life was forever changed and altered. God can move in people's lives no matter the age. But statistically speaking, uh, college is the last best chance. Because by the time people get to 24, 25, and 26, they've decided who they want to be and what they want to be about and what they want to believe. And we're entering into uh, this Generation Z. We've been in it for a little bit. Uh, Ever since, this shouldn't be a shock, ever since like the 40s, 50s, America has slowly and steadily become less and less and less Christian. Uh, We do live in a post-Christian culture now. Uh, It is not uh, normal uh, for there to be a lot of Christians. It's shaping and changing the way our culture moves. Uh, There's been a big drop-off even going into Generation Z, but that's not to say, oh, this new generation's terrible. No, uh, it's actually been steadily declining for a very long time. Generation Z happens to be the most anxious and depressed and worried and suicidal generation that's ever been them before. Uh, we see that in North Georgia. We got some Wesley students here and former Wesley students that came down. Uh, that, I don't mean to be too harsh, there's a lot of kids, but suicide has now become semi-normal in our culture, and it comes to this time where uh, it can feel like, you're like, Nathan, where's the hope in all this? What's really happening? Um, And that's where we're going to get to scripture. Uh, All right, so our scripture comes from Luke chapter 9, and we'll start with verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, but the crowds uh, learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So imagine this. This is right after Jesus sent out the apostles to go out without Uh, He told them not to bring any extra clothes, not to bring any extra food, not to bring any extra water, and to go out into the towns and to preach the good news and stay at one house if they welcome you for a time and then go to the next town. If they don't welcome you, what did he say, to kick the dust off their sandals and walk away? And they're excited to come home. They're excited. All these miracles have happened. They've gone out to pray for people and tell people about the good news. And the Holy Spirit's moved. And people have been healed. And all this is happening. And so they're excited to come back and meet with Jesus. They're probably also a little tired. Uh, And so they're going out and they're like, all right, let's go to a quiet place. And then what happens? The crowds find out and they come back. You parents probably know this better than anything. Had a long day at work. Everything's been crazy, it's been busy, and the one thing you want to do is to go home and sit in peace and quiet, and then the terror, which is the joy of your existence, your kids come in from school. And they got to go, and you're just like, I just wanted to be quiet. Or some of you coming back from Thanksgiving, all you want to do is a nice Sunday, and you just want to chill, but you got to get ready for the week. You got to get ready for the work week. You got to make sure the kids are taken care of. All these things are happening. You know what it's like to be exhausted, excited from a trip. You want some rest, and then, boom, chaos happens. And so the disciples are with Jesus, and they're out and about, and their disciples are looking forward to a little R&R. They're looking forward to a little time to go back to Jesus, tell him all the things that have happened. And then the crowds come, and Jesus welcomes them. He says, uh, starting verse 12, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. And Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, uh, but there are about 5,000, they say 5,000 men, that means there was a little bit more with the women and children. Uh, Let's just say there was around 5,000, and if Jesus came to you, you've been on a long trip where he told you not to take any money, not to take food, not to take extra clothes, You've left your life, everything that you did to follow this man, and there's 5,000 people, and you're like, all right, listen, they've been here for a while, they're starting to get tired, they're starting to get restless, they're going to get hungry soon, we don't have food, you need to send them out so they can go to sleep, they can find some food, they can eat, and then Jesus' response is, you feed them. I'm sure they were like, what are you talking about? This is absolutely ridiculous. We have nothing, we have nothing to feed them with, but then it keeps going. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. I'm sure that was said in a little bit of a snarky way, like, hey, we got five loaves, two fish, and unless we go buy it, remember, we don't have money, Jesus. You told us to go out without anything. Now we're here with you. We don't have the ability to do this. Um, and then he said, but he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Uh, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Now, I'm imagining uh, the disciples being a little uh, doubtful. Let me say this. This is a common misconception in our Christian practice that doubt and unbelief are the same thing. Uh, If I were to have a stroke right now and fall down and die, uh, most of you would go, uh, if someone came up here and said, hey, uh, let's pray for him. God will heal him. Most of you go, I don't know about that. Doubt is a natural thing that we as humans have. It's not a bad thing. It's when doubt moves it into unbelief that turns bad. That you believe God cannot do that. Not that He could, but I'm not really sure about that. No, that God couldn't do that. And so the disciples, I'm sure, are thinking to themselves, like, "All right, we'll sit him down to fifty again. There's five loaves and two fish. Jesus, like, that's it." It seems pretty doubtful it's going to happen, but I guess Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. And they they do it, but there's probably a little doubt, not unbelief, but a little bit of doubt, because they're also remembering all the things that they had just done. when And Jesus had just done a bunch of miracles. They've been around, and I'm sure they're thinking, okay, Jesus has done this. This seems a little weird, though. Like, I don't know how he's going to make food out of nothing. And so... Uh, But he said to the disciples, have them sit down, groups of 50. Then the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Um, What I love about this passage, it, it speaks to the humanity of us all, being tired, being weary, Uh, but then it comes back to this place of Jesus doing the miracle, but he's wanting the disciples to be a part of the miracle. God can do a lot of things, but he created us to be in communion with him. He created us to be his hands and feet, and God wants us to be a part of things. See, a lot of times in our life, we think that we don't have anything. Like, God, we don't have enough food to feed people, we don't have money to bless people, we don't have, I don't have all the time in my, the world to do whatever, God, you don't know my, where I'm at and what's going on, I don't have enough of the resources that I need to, to be able to fix this certain thing, and yet Jesus reminds us, you feed them. Now he's not saying you make it happen, he's saying you step out of the way and be the hands and feet that I've, I've made you to be with just five loaves and two fish, That's it, he fed over 5,000 people. And that was the disciples just saying, okay, this is what I have and this is where we'll start. What if we did the same with our lives? We have this generation, the younger generations, the college students, it's real easy for them to go off to college and you'd be like, Nathan, that's your job. You're the college pastor. Go do that. It's really easy to send your kids to church and go, it's your job to take care of our kids. It's real easy to go to the uh, school systems and be like, hey, I pay the money. I'm just going to send them off. I'm not going to do anything. That's what I'm going to do. Now you do it all. And yet Jesus reminds us, no, feed them, take care of them. It means we're all a part of this. And some of us have been blessed with a lot. Some of us have been blessed with a little. It doesn't matter the amount. What a matter matters is are we willing to give it to the Lord, to open up our hands? Even when we're tired and we're beat and we don't want to do anything else, are we going to be the hands and feet that welcome people in? Even when we don't have a lot of money in our bank account and we see someone hurting or there's a family member, or there's something we need to do, are we willing to give that Are we willing to sit down and lay down our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that way the next generations actually know Jesus? See, what I love about college students is that they're willing to try anything and everything to find truth. For the first time in their lives, they go off uh, to college without parentals all around them that they can decide what they want to do, how they want to do it. They're willing to try whatever to find truth. Sometimes it leads them to some dark and hard places. But what I love is that they're, they're honestly seeking after it. This generation, for the first time, uh, is one of the generations that doesn't really care that much about money and prestige. What they care about is direction and passion and purpose in life. They want something that's going to be purposeful. They want truth. And we have to be willing to say, all right, let's do this. Let's give our loaves and our fish. Let's give of our time and ourself. Let's give of ourselves every day to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to people around us. Let us be the hands and feet. No longer is it good enough to say, hey, we're just going to go to church and be good church people. You know, back in the day, my parents uh, did the classic stuff of going off to college. You did your four or five years. Back then, it was mainly four. You had fun. You kind of left the church for a little bit. But by the time you got married, you know, you start getting to the late twenties. You get married, and then you have kids, and you think, "Man, the church gave me good morals and good things." So I'll naturally come back to raise my kids. That time is is gone. Once people, statistically speaking, the younger generation, once they leave the church, they don't come back. And in fact, being in the post-Christian culture that we're in, a lot of people say that Christianity gives bad morals, that it's a bad God, that it's not a good God, that gives good morals, that has a way of life, that it's actually evil. And so if we don't be the people that actually give of ourselves and say god you have my whole self and i'm going to i'm going to be the one to be the hands and feet we're going to lose a big generation and i have a huge heart for college ministry i love it too because Uh, unlike most churches, except for this one, because y'all are in a cool, awesome space. Most churches, they always do what they do. There's no change, there's no fluid, there's no nothing. They just wanna do what they've always done and you better fit the mold and get in, not trying to bash any churches. Churches are great and we need them. Uh, But college students are a little different where they're saying, if this God isn't real, if this isn't what I I read about and it's actually going to work out and see and the power of God is gonna move, then I don't want anything to do with it. And that's exciting to me because people are really wanting God. It may seem statistically that, oh, this seems really bad. Our culture's going in a weird place. What happens if we lose this generation? What I'm seeing is that we are ripe, ripe for an awakening. That we're finally getting to the point that, like, all we can do is get on our knees and absolutely pray that God moves and our kids grandkids and this next generation move in our own lives that we have to go back to the desperation, the need of God. We found that, and by we, a lot smarter people than I that actually do statistics and testings and all that type of stuff, but found that uh, just throwing money at stuff like having the cooler church and the cooler lights and the cooler sound doesn't bring people. Why? Because they want the truth of the gospel. They want something more. And we have to be the people that say we're going to give more. We're going to lay down our lives to follow Jesus. We're going to be the people that even when we doubt a little bit, like I don't know how this is going to work out, but God, I'll I'll give you the fish and the loaves. I'll give you whatever it is. I'm going to lay down my life for the gospel so that way your spirit can move. We desperately need that. And I think it's really exciting, uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm, preaching to myself here too, uh, but one of the things that I've learned uh, by reading Jesus and following Jesus is that there's no quick, clear, like, fix to anything. We and our culture love one plus one equals two. We love a formula. Let me just do this and do this. The only way that we're going to really follow after Jesus and the only way things are going to change is to actually live life with people. And that is the hardest thing to do. Why? Because you've got your own families. You've got your own relationships. You've got your spouses you got to take care of. You've got your extended family. You've got all this. But it's going to take us, even when we're tired, even when we have a lot or have a little, even when we do all that, is to be people to say, all right, I'm going to love people the way Jesus has called me to. Okay, I'm going to have to step outside of my comfort zone doesn't matter the age. I'm going to live life with people. I'm going to invest in people. I'm going to break bread with people. I'm going to be with them. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He didn't meet with them once a week. He didn't have a good Sunday school and a good sermon and then say, all right, see you next Sunday. We're out. He lived life with them. And that's the only way I know how to do ministry well is to live life with people. And it's a big ask. It's a big call. But I think that God is working through this next generation. And it's time, kind of like commencement speeches, it's time for us to say, okay, go out and do it. It's time. It's time for us to step out and be uh, the church, be the people that God has called us to be. And I believe in doing that, we'll see the Holy Spirit move in ways that we've never seen in our lifetime. Back to the Great Awakenings, the Second Great Awakenings, I believe the Holy Spirit will move and people will be healed. Marriages will be saved. Uh, people will, will will be turned back to the love and grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, as we continue to worship uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, your spirit move here. Lord, I, I I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this beautiful place that we get to freely worship you. Lord, I pray for each person here. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit just comfort them. We've had a beautiful week of Thanksgiving and meals and being with family and friends and probably traveling, and there's... Probably a lot of people who are tired. I know I am. But Lord, what a blessing. Lord, I pray that your spirit bring peace and joy and purpose. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit convict us where we need to be convicted. For your conviction is not bad. Your conviction is sweet. Lord, lead us. Teach us how to love people well, how to sacrifice our lives. Lord, teach us what it means for us to go out and feed people physically, spiritually, emotionally. So God, thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.